Hello and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken that sleepy consciousness. I hope you're having a really, really great day and you'll be listening to this show while it's uh, on the air. I will actually be in Egypt with a group of sacred travelers doing some fantastic work with the ley lines and the grid lines and the dragon lines and our own spiritual awakening. So you'll hear more about that as time goes by. I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis located right here in the greater Seattle area. Reiki Oasis has been around over 23 years now, offering all sorts of things from Reiki training, crystal bowl healing concerts, past life regression therapy, sound healing, and fantastic workshops. You can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com and, of course, schedule everything at schedule.ReikiOasis.com. As you listen to the show today, I want you just to sort of check in with your own self because, as we know, everything is frequency, everything is energy, and everything at some level is connected to each other. I recently rewatched the show Avatar. Absolutely love that show, where we have this sort of connection. We're going to talk a lot about that today, especially with my amazing guest, Maria Wheatley. Maria is an author, a paranormal investigator. She's into astrology, tarot. She's a guide, and she is a second-generation dowser who is a leading authority on the geodetic system of Earth energies. She was taught how to decode and divine the land by her late father, Dennis Wheatley, who was considered to be one of the UK's top master dowsers. Maria is the author of several books to include her latest book, Divining Ancient Sites, which I am going to delve into for sure. She has online educational programs for dowsing, and she teaches things that are not taught anywhere else in the world. She is a very amazing, unique woman, fulfilling her destiny on planet Earth, and believing in the Earth Force or dowsing, however, is apparently not enough for Maria. She wants to show the world that the prehistoric designers of ancient sites could locate and harness Earth energy. Using dowsing, Maria discovered elongated skulls in Stonehenge, and many of what she has done has led to the remarkable unfolding of the history of Stonehenge, Neolithic High Queen, and her findings definitely challenge our understanding of sacred sites of the earth, of ourselves, and our place within the construct of that. Welcome to the show, Maria. I am so thrilled to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And to lay a little bit of a groundwork, because boy, do we have a lot to cover in our in our hour. Can you just talk a little bit about dowsing and about your life growing up with this being a, a, a normal part of life as opposed to something remarkable? Or, you know, because a lot of my listeners are really on board with this stuff, but then there's this skeptic aspect, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it it was very, you know, fascinating growing up, uh, knowing about things like dowsing and ancient sites and and about our ancestors as well. So dowsing, what is dowsing? Dowsing really is a relationship with Gaia. It's about really contacting Gaia's energies and understanding them and being able to decode a place, whether that's an ancient site like Stonehenge or the pyramids or even our own homes. Dowson allows us to make contact with the earth energies and with Gaia. Now, when you douse, do you use specific tools? Do you feel it? Um, What do you do? Well, what I do and what I encourage my students to do is to douse and also to use their own kind of feeling sensations, their their bodies to to detect uh, earth energies, which is very traditional. Even if we go back to ancient China, you would walk the nine paths if you went into a house or a site. and You'd walk it in a particular manner to feel the energies and then be able to interpret them as you walked around the site. So I encourage that as well because particular types of 
earth energies. Some make us very relaxed and calm and others can stimulate us. So just by understanding how they make us react, we can begin to understand how we can utilize them in our lives and the lives of others. Are you saying that, you know, depending on where we live or, or um, you know, because I'm thinking as you talk about China and thinking about, you know, feng shui and, and the bagua, right? Um, mm. But are you saying that in the places that we live that it affects us, that it affects our health, it affects our emotions, um, things like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Maybe even our Absol relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, absolutely, Retta. I mean, you're, you're really bang on the, the money there. Yes, because there's certain grid lines like the curry net and the Hartman grid and the banker grid that aren't that good for human health, for instance. And that's long been documented in countries like Germany, where certain houses on certain grids were actually called and labeled cancer houses. So some uh, energies can be quite toxic. They're called geopathic stress. And others can be quite, you know, life enhancing. So there are different types of, of energies and depending on where we live and what is in our DNA bank, as it were, you know, if, you, if you're prone to something in an Ill, a family illness and uh, in your DNA, geopathic stress is likely to bring that to the surface. So we need to understand the land upon which we live. I really like what you said. I mean, I heard several things in there and it sounds to me like you mentioned uh, perhaps some major ley lines. You, you, I didn't quite catch what you said because I'm not as adept at it as you, but maybe some rivers of, of um, energy that affect people. And then this idea of cancer houses. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes. What, what's going on, you see, is grid lines, some grids uh, can be very toxic. Energy flows too fast a straight line. So the chi, or call it what you will, uh, astral light chi, it really does flow fast in a straight line. And that's why in China, they tried to avoid straight lines. And even in their roofs, they made it slightly concave like a horseshoe. So chi slows down. It has been found recently by master dowsers, including master dowsers of Egypt, for example, that the once benign and you know, quite neutral grids like the Hartman grid with the advent of Wi-Fi are now becoming quite toxic. What a lot of people see ley lines as is literally just a straight line linking ancient sites like you know, Egypt to Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. But you see, there's far more to, to lays than that. Some are astronomically aligned and everything has earth colors in them. So all of the colors of the rainbow and invisible colors as well of the sun and the earth combined to make a dominant color in a lay or in an earth current. So, for example, if you have a very strong, fast flowing red lay, and say you've got horses or cattle uh, in a barn with that, they are going to be very, very restless. So we can start to understand lays through the colors of which they admit, as well as the direction they flow in, the sites they're linked to. So it's really about the color of lays and earth energies as well that is little documented in the States. Yeah, I've never actually heard of this the way that you're talking, and I'm fascinated by it. Um, you know, I have a lot, a lot of clients that come to me and they'll say strange things like, um, you know, in this certain part of my house, I can't focus, right? Or um, I'm laying in my bed and I find I just hug the left side of it no matter what I do, right? And yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that that has something to do with what you're talking about. Yes, for, for example, in one's bed... If you do huddle up, your your body actually knows what's good for you. Sometimes the mind overrides that with its <laughs> intellect by trying to explain it. But quite often our bodies and our emotions are, are, are quite in touch with the surroundings and with Gaia. So if we try to avoid a certain part of the bed, we're trying to, in all probability, avoid the curry net that is flowing through the, the bed, for example. So these ley lines are, you know, because I'm, I'm hearing you tell me there are, are large ones. There's very important ones. You talk about the uh, Mary and Michael lines, right? And then there's smaller ones. 
Well, yeah. major ley lines, okay. like I'll give you an example that's been very, very well documented since the 1950s by the late and great geomancer called John Michel. He found what was called the St. Michael ley line. Now, that is a, a linear straight line with ancient sites sighted upon it. It faces the Beltane, that's the Celtic word for the May Day sunrise. So it's been adjusted, according to John Michel, manipulated to face that sunrise because the chances of that in nature are very slim. But the real power in the land isn't necessarily the lay. The power in the land is the earth currents that entwine the ley line. Normally, one is male and the other is female, and they're called the Mary and Michael Earth Currents that entwine the St. Michael Lay. So here we have a living, sentient lay system that is very, very powerful. And again, most dowsers uh, in the USA are more fixed on lays than discovering the earth currents that entwine them. Mm. It feels like a living organism, the way you talk about it. Like It yeah. is, because these, these energies affect our consciousness. They can raise our consciousness. They allow us to connect very deeply with the earth energies of Gaia. And our ancient ancestors really plotted them around the world and cited power places upon them. So Avebury Henge and places like Stonehenge do not just have lays. They have living earth currents that entwine the lay flowing through them and sometimes uniting at the heart of the site, the male with the female, with the land and with you. That That is amazing. That is so powerful. Um, you know, so many people go to visit Stonehenge. And, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, the, the, the heel stone, you know, lines up with um, the sunrise on, on the solstice or something like that. But I think you have a little bit more insight into that. Could you share that with us? Well, the, the heel stone, yes, is world famous for the alignment of the midsummer sunrise. But more than that, it's more accurately aligned to a very complex lunar alignment known as the moon's standstill. And it's a bit like a kind of solstice that happens every nine years in relation to, to the sun. So imagine now it's night and night is falling and you're stood at the very heart, the center of Stonehenge, and you look towards the heel stone as the stars begin to shine and you will see a beautiful full moon rise above of the heelstone round about the time of midwinter every nine years. Far more complex to calculate than a sunrise it shows the astronomical wisdom and sophistication of our ancient prehistoric ancestors. So they're, uh, you're telling me they're aligned with the moon and... And the sun. And the, the sun. male and the female. Yeah. Joining... It's trying to get us, some ancient sites at least, try to allow us to feel our unity rather than our duality. So at some sites like Stonehenge, it's like unification of yourself with your soul, your male with your female, your past with your future. That's the really important things about ancient sites. And when I take people to these sites, I encourage them to explore them in many different ways. So at that moment, with that union, there is a potentiality of, of awakening to yourself in some way or connecting some deeper way, is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. We can yeah. connect with ourselves because if, if we are going to change anything, we need to self-heal to begin with. Yeah. If we really want to change the world in which we live, some of us need to self-heal. Once we have that union of the male and the female and that balance within that equilibrium that was our soul birthright, then we can move on. And the ancient sites encourage that. It's an alchemy, a natural alchemy there that's saying, well, you know, you're here, you can do this. 
And it's easy. And it can be in an instant. You don't have to sit around meditating for 20 <laughs> minutes at Stonehenge. You're in there. Bang. It, it happens. And it's a bit like, you know, if you're in the king's chamber in, in the pyramids. Bang. These things happen because the beneath our feet, going deeper and deeper into Gaia is the male and the female earth currents. And that's a gift from Gaia to us. So what happens, you know, um, I'm thinking about, of course, that full moon rising, but I'm also thinking what happens when there's like a new moon or there's an eclipse or something like that? Are, th are these sites lined up with that? I mean, obviously the earth currents are. How does that affect us? The eclipses really do affect Earth energies, and there's been a lot of research with Master Dowsers going back, oh gosh, it must be about sort of 25 years of which I was a part of uh, many, many years ago where independently we all tried to uh, and achieved quite good results of testing earth energies at the eclipses. And what we found was this, they go quiet and still. You cannot detect them during an eclipse. And then it's almost like a, a reboot of your computer. It all comes back, you know, and it's, it's all got vigor. And the earth energies are like that. It's like they have that brief respite when the planets, uh, the sun and the moon come together. And then they kind of come into their fullness again because all of the planets do affect Gaia. She's part of a solar family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the sun and the moon, especially so, have always been seen as the eyes of heaven in Celtic um, Druidism, for example. And even in Nordic, they're the eyes of heaven. I love what you're saying. I'm just enjoying it so much. This um, quietness. She goes quiet. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. And then from that place, in that moment, something, in, you know, enormous could actually happen. And then here we come back and our eyes are different. We see differently. Yeah. Well, I think mm -hmm. of eclipses as being seeds in terms of the earth, because if in that still moment, in that quietness of Gaia's receptive womb that you plant a seed of your intent in, in that beautiful and magical and most alchemical reboot, your harvest could be what you wish it. This is the this is the wonders of the ancient sites. And at Stonehenge, it was geared up like a computer. This was discovered by Gerald Hawkins back in the 1960s to register the exact moment and time of an eclipse. They were ready at Stonehenge. Our ancestors knew the wisdom of the earth and they were actively working with the consciousness of Gaia and themselves. We um, have somewhat lost that, haven't we? Um, I think it's really great to begin to bring it back. I, I feel like you're a, that's your message here. And um, well, I want to get on board with that. I really do. Uh, you talk a little bit about the esoteric center of the world. What is the esoteric center of the world? Well, if we look to ancient astrological writings and we turn to Claudius Ptolemy, who was an uh, astrologer, he studied in the wonderful Alexandrian library of ancient Egypt, and he wrote several books uh, about astrology and the center of the world. And even though he was studying Egypt, he's probably a Greek because he was a Ptolemy and there's a lot of, you know, Ptolemy places and in Egypt, Cleopatra was a Ptolemy. Um, but, but, but nonetheless, he documented what the ancients were saying and he was around about the first century AD. So we're already going back a couple of thousand years and he was documenting probably from thousands years before that, that the very sacred center, the esoteric center of the world was, uh, in Syria called Aleppo on this huge white mound. And it's very intriguing that, you know, when you have these power places, sometimes you do have military activity uh, in, in relationship to them. But that's, that's what uh, Ptolemy saw as the esoteric center of the world, a very important place. 
Most places do have an esoteric centre. You could even find the esoteric centre of your house, of your mm. office, mm. by being in the heart of the place. I mean, this is where secret societies would do their rites from. In a lodge, for example, you go to the esoteric centre. You, you may see in a Christian church, for instance, the altar being at the east, right at the far end of the church, but a lot of the power places, apart from the Christian churches, have the esoteric center in the actual center. That's the power place. Now, this power place, like you say, is the esoteric center of your of your place. And you you also made a little mention there of of a white mound. Uh, what is the importance yes. of the white mound? Does that mark the es esoteric center? In Aleppo, a huge white mound marked the uh, esoteric center. Now, white mounds are common throughout the world, actually. So, for instance, in my neck of the woods, I live not far from the world's largest stone circle called Avebury Henge. I feel thoroughly spoiled by that <laughs> and, and blessed, <laughs> I must say. But, but, yeah. that, but not far from uh, Avebury Henge is a beautiful white mound called Silbury Hill, a seven-step chalk pyramid that was moved off with smooth white chalk to make it look like a white mound in the city of London where the royal family um, from Edward I onwards built their kind of uh, castle and later dungeons on a white mound as well so white mounds feature internationally across the planet and even if we look how the pyramids were finished off in ancient Egypt with that beautiful white limestone that was a kind of design canon throughout the ancient world be it in limestone or be it in chalk um, you mentioned the pyra pyramids. I'm imagining that you have doused there. You have done some uh, discoveries there and 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 uh, decoding. Um, what what is the importance of the location of the Great Pyramids on the Giza Plain? Well, some of the important things about uh, the Giza Plain are you do have a lot of different types of earth currents with a variety of different color some of the really high earth colors. It was discovered many, many decades ago, probably around the, I believe it was about the 1930s to the 1940s, you had French diviners called Traumary and de Belazel, and they were looking into the nature of pendulum devices that they found in the Valley of the Kings. They found them in the Valley of the Kings because the French, like the English and, and the Germans, literally ransacked Egypt. You know, <laughs> for, for its artifacts, for obelisks back to Rome, obelisks back to New York and, yeah. and London, etc., etc. So mm. they, they were with the archaeologists at the time and they noted particular types of pendulums were placed with certain mummies. They took these devices back to France, replicated them, and one of uh, the, the two was uh, Traumary actually, was in his laboratory. They had a massive dousing laboratory. They made it into a science in effect, and they realized that the pyramid shape and certain points of the land emit a very powerful earth energy, the most powerful earth energy that Gaia produces, and the sun also does in an invisible ray, a bit like ultraviolet light. Imagine this ray, and they called it the negative green. And mm. using uh, pendulum devices, Chalmery filled an object so full of negative green that it wasn't until one week later that his partner, uh, de Belizal, came to the laboratory and found him completely mummified. Oh. The, these energy, and that went down in Dowson history, uh, incidentally. It's probably one of the most famous Dowson stories ever to be told. Now, negative green, they claimed, was the cure and cause of cancer. Certain shapes produce the negative green in a very good form. Not the negative uh, form of it, but it's still called the negative green, so it gets quite confusing. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I know, they, they should have changed changed the names, the positive uh, green. But anyway, uh, nonetheless, you get a pyramid shape, and that is pushing out 
into the environs, this invisible earth ray that meets the sun's esoteric colors. I mean, the, the sun, you see, I mean, I shan't go into it in detail about the esoteric colors of the sun, uh, which is a kind of aspect of Ra, if you will, but these two come together in a dome shape, like you see in mosques and synagogues and uh, barrows in the United Kingdom and Ireland, for example, they all have that kind of dome shape or a pyramid shape. So they're, they're generators of free energy made from the earth and sunlight. Wow. So what happens when you are, <laughs> you know, don't give this all away because, you know, you take people to Egypt and so do I. So if you're lying in that, uh, in the king's chamber, right, I'm, I'm just visualizing what's happening because I've had my own experiences in there. Um, are we generating a certain type of energy in that pyramidal shape sitting in that uh, uh, king's chamber? You know, and underneath there's all of that um, supposed activity. Like people have talked about the pyramids being a, a conductor of energy like the Tesla um, format, you know. What's your take on that? Again, with ancient sites, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things going on at any one time. They're not just one thing. A bit like a modern day church isn't just for death, it's about Christ christenings, etc. So when it comes to an ancient site like Stonehenge or the pyramids, you will find different aspects of it. So one aspect of the king's chamber, why is the uh, why are certain things placed within it at a particular angle is because of that's the angle that a particular energy comes in from the sun. Mm -hmm. That's how the so that's that part. Then if we look at what's beneath the pyramids. And this is where I differ from uh, the, the standard interpretation of water beneath the pyramids, because uh, I was brought up as an esoteric water diviner, as well as, you know, uh, a water diviner as such. And I say there's two types of water, one which falls from the sky and fills up the aquifers and underground streams, etc., and rivers that that releases a particular type of dousable pattern that you can douse. It's not good to live above that type of water. It's called geopathic stress that we mentioned earlier. Now, the Gaia also produces within the Earth's body water. So this is an independent form mm. of water. And I've called that yin water because it's old name primary water. I felt I uh, didn't honor the earth as much. So I coined the phrase yin water. Now, wherever you have yin water, its dousable pattern is a spiral called a geospiral pattern. And wow, is that harmonic. We've tested the hertz frequency of it and it will put your brain into alpha naturally. It will take it away from beta into alpha. It will relax you. It will calm you. Um. Wherever you have the yang water, that's the water that falls from the sky. Say you have an aquifer there and beneath that aquifer, you have another lake of yin water. It seems that the yin water's energy can transform and transmute the negative admissions of the other type of water, making it harmonic. So I say at the pyramids, you have two types of water, the male and the female, releasing a very strong spiral pattern that again can change your consciousness. So that's just a couple of aspects. Do you see what I mean? There's a yes. lot going on in any one place. So I think if you go to one part of the king's chamber, you experience one thing. In another part, you may experience another yeah, I'm I'm really following what you're saying and you're raising lots of questions in me which I love. When we talk about these two types of water and if if I heard you correctly, you know, we have the one that comes like rain or or you know, the yang water and then the yin water, Gaia is producing her own water. Um what what is happening in areas of the world where they can't seem to find water or they're having drought? Is there yin water there? Is it not being produced by Gaia? What's your take on that? My take on it, it really does depend a lot on uh, the type of geology 
Okay. That does really affect. I mean, if you've got impenetrable uh, stone like hard granite, like you get on Vancouver Island in volcanic uh, volcanic areas, that can be a little bit problematic. the The thing about the the yin water is it's perpetual. It will ne a, a, a geospiral, uh, the old name blind spring, can never dry up. It's perpetual. So I really do feel that you would have to invest more money to bore this type of deep water, mm. you know, categorically. I mean, mm -hmm. you would have, have to. But there is no reason why anyone should ever be thirsty on planet Earth because it's perpetual. So I think a lot of the the take on that is for is for corporate companies to uh, mm. tax and charge more for water. Yeah, yeah, I was I was going to go there with my question, um, you know, because I'm also paying attention to sacred sites worldwide, and you know I've traveled a lot, and many of the places that I've gone to, they've either closed them down or they're uh, charging to see them now. Is that sort of thing going on over where, in your part of the world? It's been going on in my part of the world for a very, very long oh. time. <laughs> and same as uh, Karnak, Malta, you know, uh, and uh, any tourist place now. And even, in fact, in a year, go into Malta because I take groups there. It's the uh, land of the goddess, Malta, mm. as you probably know. Yeah. Uh, and the, the kind of, you know, the area they cordon off is getting further and further away. So when you go to the Isle of Goza, there was a fantastic, there is a fantastic site called Gicantia. And it's an amazing power place. And you used to be able to go right up to it to touch the enormous stones there. But now cordoned off. Yeah. So you find this all the time and it's becoming more and more uh, pre pre uh, prevalent. The place where you can interact and uh, at any time of the day or, or the night is Sardinia. Sardinia and some places in Spain and Ireland, for instance, are, do not have that kind of tourism. We are going to charge you. You can only have 20 minutes. You can only do this. You can mm -hmm. only do that. So there are pockets in the world that are, are still uh, open and free. Yeah, and I'm, I'm also thinking, um, you know, about the military. You mentioned that earlier because a lot of these um, areas have a lot of the military controlling them or they have bases all over the place or, you know, like here in the States, we have Area 51. What really is going on out there, right? <laughs> We're always wondering. So, yeah. Uh, absolutely. We have the yeah. same around Stonehenge. You have what's called the military zone of the Salisbury Plain. It's mm. identical. Mm. So they really, there's only certain things that you can go to and see. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. going to take a little break. This is Loretta Brown, and my amazing guest today is Maria Wheatley, and she is an absolutely stellar second-generation dowser. And <laughs> you're way more than that, Maria. Anyway, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about burrows, and we're going to talk about elongated skulls. Don't go away. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. Let angels and Reiki and the search for mystical knowledge become a regular part of your routine Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Loretta Brown, owner of Reiki Oasis, Reiki master teacher, an angel messenger, and healing musician, all wrapped into one as she uses her voice to share knowledge of great mysteries, energetic laws, and messages of love from the divine. Join her and her show every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. to open your heart and heal your soul. Visit ReikiOasis.com for more information about her show. 
Hi, this is Eric Ryder, Operations Manager for Alternative Talk 1150. We value your opinion and invite you to 1150kknw.com to fill out the 2018 listener survey. Your response helps us shape KKNW to your listening needs. As an added incentive, when you fill out the survey, you'll have a chance to win an awesome prize. Complete contest details and your opportunity to help us shape this station can be found at 1150kknw.com. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Sunshine helps crops grow, and at a farm in southeastern Arkansas, the sun also powers the facility that dries and stores grains after they're harvested. A.J. Hood manages Tiller and Company. He says the farm grows a lot of rice, which is dried using electric fans. So, to reduce electricity costs, he decided to have solar panels installed at the farm. We started by looking at the numbers, and the more we looked, the more we realized that this is something economically feasible for growers in Arkansas. Federal grants and tax credits reduced the farm's upfront investment. But Hood says the real advantage was making his electric bill more predictable. We want to know what input costs we're going to pay year in and year out. The solar installation was recently completed. Hood says it takes up less than two acres of land, and yet it now offsets 100% of the grain storage facility's power. He expects that will save the farm $30,000-$35,000 a year and make the farm's grain business more profitable. I would highly encourage any grower, no matter the size, to explore solar. The financial aspect of it just makes sense. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150KKNW.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Radio with no added hormones or preservatives. All natural alternative talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to the original Retta Brown Show, and I am the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in Seattle. You can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com and always connect on Facebook. Yeah, you can do that. My guest today is Maria Wheatley. She is. She lives in the UK. I don't know why you live all the way over there, Maria. You should come to Seattle. Yeah, we'll get together. <laughs> anyway, uh, she does amazing work, and I want to come back in. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, boroughs. What what are they? And um, yeah, let's just start there. <laughs> what do you find sure. in them? What is? Are they burial ground? What are they? Yeah. Well, a long barrow is a Neolithic monument that normally has a way to enter, like going into a cave, if you will, into the into the dark recesses. And it has internal chambers that are, are quite dark. Some of them are stone and some of them were made of wood. So they were temple spaces to begin with. Eventually, they were used to place the skulls and the long bones in of the Neolithic people, and then they were sealed off. So they had many different uh, phases with them. And I think it's also what's going on with some of the ancient sites in your own country. First of all, they were temple spaces, then they were used for burial. So a Neolithic long barrow is about 6,000 to 5,000 years old. They are the oldest monuments in the British landscape. You say they start out as temples, but I know that some people have found, um, and maybe you yourself, have discovered um, 
the remains of people, bodies in these long burrows. Can you talk to that a little bit? Like, are there many people in there? Is there one person? What? Sure. Yeah. Well, for, for a start, the the bones were placed in as much later than than when they were first used you see so the, they were different phases uh, stonehenge has different phases as well like phase one phase two and phase one of a long barrow is temple phase two they put the bones in most long barrows in the british isles and northwest europe because we all share a very similar background they would uh, put quite a few people in communal burials, sometimes family members, sometimes very large amounts of people. Occasionally, very specially so, sometimes there would just be one person placed into a barrow, which would mean that they were very special, possibly the elite, a spiritual leader, a high priest or a high priestess. So, but that's very rare compared to the communal burial deposits of many bones and many skulls, for instance. And around Stonehenge, there is one such barrow. It's the largest barrow in Northwest Europe. It is huge. <laughs> it is nearly 400 feet long. It looks like a serpent, a, a huge, long, stretched out mound on military soil now, but back in its day, it was crowning a hilltop with, uh, and finished off, like we were mentioned earlier, with the white mound of Aleppo and Silbury and the pyramids. It would have been finished off and polished in brilliant chalk, making it look chalk white amid the lush green landscape. And inside, when I began to investigate through antiquarian reports and studying at Oxford and going into uh, the university archives, I discovered the long-skulled people of Stonehenge, which was a unique find. And I really do feel that the, the reason I doused the barrow and got attracted to it through through dowsing. But then when I really connected with the barrow and found that it was a woman that was interned, mm. because we don't hear much about the women of prehistory. Mm -mm. And I was determined to track her down. And I did to Cambridge University, where I asked to see her because uh, I was writing a paper at the time, a university paper, because I study archaeology as well as being a, a mystic. And uh, she had a massive long skull. But you know what? More than that, much more than that, when I put my hands over her throat chakra, her third eye and her crown, I think she had two crown chakras, incidentally. I think the elongated people have oh. a slightly different chakra system. It almost felt, Loretta, like she was behaving like a crystal skull, still emitting energy through the power of her skull. Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it, what it you just said. That's extraordinary. So you, th this is so fascinating to me, and um, I think it's so timely, you know, on planet Earth and and we've always we've already alluded to it. You know, these sacred sites have this amazing uh, balance energy, masculine, feminine, light, dark, you know, that sort of a thing. And here on planet Earth, we're talking a lot about the changes on the Earth and the the feminine coming back into balance, maybe the masculine coming into balance. So here you have this elongated skull, ancient woman. Yes. With Over two... five and a half thousand years old. Oh, that's that... just overwhelmingly wonderful. It, it was. And yeah. like I say, I think they've got different, uh, a double crown, well, two chakras on the crown. But I mean, this is the, the amazing thing about ancient sites, be it a, a long barrow or be it, you know, anywhere that is sacred space. What I teach in my uh, Dowsim lessons and I do Skype lessons and I do online lessons. I do home study. If anybody that wants to uh, get in contact with me, check out esotericcollege.com or the averyexperience.co.uk. But if we go back to our analogy of the pyramids and we say the same thing is under Stonehenge, a massive amount of yin water generating a spiral pattern. Mm -hmm. We can work with that water energy and we can tap in 
to the Akashic records of that site through the deep memory that the water retains. So we can, we can work with the past, we can work with the future. And also I've developed a healing method, a modality that can heal our own body water because where water has memory, I think my body water holds on to negative emotions mm -hmm. just as much as my mind. And when, when we enter these energy fields, water to water, heart to heart, healing changes can occur through tuning in to the, the beautiful light within that geospiral energy pattern. These places are healer, healers in stone. The healing power of water and also the memory of water, that is so powerful. Um, that's so powerful. You know, we're composed of so much water, and I think I think you've tapped into something very important there. Um, I could talk about that, but I want to go back to the elongated skulls and to this woman. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about her? Like, uh, you know, I know that in, in Egypt and in other parts of the world, they have elongated skulls. And who are these elongated skull people? Are they excessively tall? Are they short? What what can you tell us about her or them? For, for sure, I can tell you that the uh, elongated skulled people of the British Isles and of the, the western part of North Europe were very short because they left their long bones, and you can do testing to test whether my long bone belongs to me or somebody else, etc., it's, it's not difficult to do so. And it was found that they were only about five feet tall compared to the, the giants of, say, northern Turkey, which were elongated skull people that were a lot taller. I think they were different. Just like, you know, we uh, yeah. are a mixed race and we're very diverse today with our beautiful colors and the beautiful way that different people look. It was probably the same back then, tall and short, you know, dark and light, uh, redheads. And, you know, yeah. it was, it yeah. was we, we should embrace that was there's many different types. But she herself was uh, very short and uh, her skull was uh, very long. And I really do uh, envision her to be one of the founders of Stonehenge. I think she had an active role in the placement of Stonehenge because she had such a prestigious burial, second to none in the world. So she must have been an important woman. And uh, her story it got quite sad because the reports that I read about her and her story did unfold that her and a lot of the people around her that had elongated skulls were sadly massacred at one point in the tragic history of Stonehenge because they were all found murdered. My goodness. How were they killed? Ceremonially, I think. Or yeah, it feels the, like it, yeah. The, because it was always by a right-handed attacker that was uh, putting a, a weapon into their head. They were killing the skull, the head. Yeah. So, I mean, and also then there was at that time a new influx of people came to the British Isles. They were called the Beaker people, if you want to use techno-archaeological <laughs> words. I mean, Beaker, you think they could come up with something a bit better than that? But hey, <laughs> that sounds awful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They write the script, not me. But anyway, these uh, people migrated across. They were taller. They had round skulls like you and I. So I think that in the monuments that these two very different types of people created, I noticed instantly that the long-skulled people created elongated, long-shaped monuments. And the round-skulled people added to the monuments that they made because over here we have different phases in stone circles. The central features often are much older. And then the round skull people built round stone circles around existing features that were already in the land about a thousand years before they came across. Mm. So it was the round skull people built round stone circles. Uh, that is for sure. So long, long, long burls is long skulls and 
round round barrels, <laughs> yeah. round skulls. Literally, right. the I think yeah. they were taking the kind of higher chakra system and placing it in the land. I think they were the, like the, like the face because if if you are. Uh, what I have done with uh, taking people on tours is once you walk around a monument, you kind of get the 360 feel of its energetic auric field, if you will. And at times it feels like the throat can be activated, the third eye and the crown around these round types of monuments or the elongated skulled type of monument as well. You know, you you did have the amazing experience, you know, going to Cambridge and and um, uh, finding, you know, being in the presence of her remains, her, whoever she was. What do you think her message is for us? What was it for you? I think uh, the, the message the Neolithic Queen gives to the world is find out about the past and learn from it. I think she's offering her, her being as a peace for us mm -hmm. because one thing i did feel around her was completely at peace as if she forgave everybody that did harm and to to learn that we can grow and we do not have to have war and so i think her message was like peace and and allowing us to grow spiritually it was a very profound moment when uh, i was with her and I asked Great Spirit for us to be alone and for the Creator to leave us. <laughs> I was having a little rant to, to my to my love Gaia. Gaia, get this person out of the room, please. Yeah. And uh, and I did, and I was alone with her, and I really did feel that you know there was uh, such love and such peace then because the land was used differently in her era of the elongated ones. It was communal. I didn't own this. You didn't own that. It was communal. When it came to the ownership of the land in the late uh, Bronze Age, that's, you know, from about 1500 BC, land ownership came into play and the masculine rule came into play big time. And this was mine and that was yours. And we had fences and huge ditches and dikes separating the land. So even the, the whole landscape underwent change with these two cultures. And if we go back to the past, back to that time when we were together you and I working together mm -hmm. is a vision that we could return to I hope at some point that's a beautiful message well we are down to just like our last little tiny minute and uh, Maria I know that you do some amazing things you take people on trips can you just tell us how to find you and how to join you and what we can do Absolutely, because I go to Egypt. Uh, you can find out more on my website. It's uh, just about to be updated. It's called the Avebury Experience.co.uk. And also, I'm going to be coming to America with Hilary Raymond. Yay! <laughs> Yeah, on this 6th of October next year. And we're really going to explore ancient America. We're going to go to the American Stonehenge, for example. We're going to go to uh, temple spaces there. I'm really excited about coming to America and decoding the colors of the land. And I'll be teaching advanced dowsing. It's really easy to, to grasp with Hillary. So I'll be doing that. You can find out about my courses, such as uh, tarot, uh, and ancient Celtic wisdom I teach, Druidry, and Dowsing, of course, all on my website, which is esotericcollege.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on my show. And my heart mm, just loves you. And uh, blessings to you. And I know we'll be in touch. Thanks to my listeners. Have a wonderful week. This is Loretta Brown. And this is the LorettaBrownShow.com. You can find everything on the archives for free download. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Be blessed.